Very warm welcome. Not quite as warm as it would have been on Tuesday or Wednesday, but we're thankful for that because nice bit of coolness in the air. You're very welcome. It's not being visually recorded this morning, but there is a sound recording going out. If anyone's listening later, welcome to you as well. We bring our worship to God wherever we are, in our front rooms, dressing our pyjamas and dressing gown, or here in our Sunday best. This is my Sunday best anyway. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being here this morning to worship you. Thank you that you're a God who created the universe and things that scientists haven't yet discovered, and yet you are here with us, mere mortals. And we thank you for the closeness of your presence as well as the greatness of your glory. And we ask that you will indeed be with us today, this morning as we gather here. Help us as we bring our worship to you, as we bring our prayers to you, and as we open your word and listen to your word being preached. Give us receptive hearts and minds and obedient wills, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there are one or two changes around the grounds, that's because yesterday there was a, a maintenance day. And uh, thanks to all those who, who came and were busy with spades and hoes and all the rest of it, and paintbrushes and that, I think. Special thanks to Chris, who kept the team going with cups of tea, coffee, and some delicious cakes. So if the maintenance team are looking a little bit fatter, that's why. Let's remind ourselves why we've come together this morning, shall we, and say together, we've come together in the name of Christ to offer our praise and thanksgiving, to hear and receive God's holy word, to pray for the needs of the world, and to seek the forgiveness of our sins, that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may give ourselves to the service of God. And let us, before we go any further, confess that we haven't been the people that we should have been, even the people that we want to be, never mind the people that God would have us be. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us then show our love for him by confessing our sins in penitence and faith. And so we say together, Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. May the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins, heal and strengthen us by his Spirit, and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen. We're starting a new sermon series today. Alan Bartman is going to be starting that for us, and he's just going to introduce it for us and give a little bit of an intro, and I won't trespass on any more of what he's going to say. Morning, everyone. Nice to see you. So, yeah, we're going to start a new series looking at some of the parables, some of the lesser-known parables that uh, Jesus talked about. 
But we thought it might be good just very briefly to look at what are parables. Now, I looked up some definitions on the Tinterweb, and most of them required an A-level in English grammar to understand them, so I've ignored those because I don't have an A-level in English grammar. And I came up with this nice, simple one that I like, and it says, What are parables? A simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Parables were simple, yet very powerful tools used by Jesus in a specific context to an audience that he was familiar with, usually aimed at getting a response from the audience, from the hearers. Sometimes he told them in response to a question that he was asked. And usually the listeners would get the point without the need for explanation, and that's quite important for us. In fact, explaining a parable can mean it loses its impact. It's a bit like telling a joke and having to explain it. It's not funny anymore, is it? You know, it loses its power. So, for example, just two of the most well-known parables, if you take the Good Samaritan, the crowd knew that Jews and Samaritans didn't get on with each other. Jesus didn't need to explain that. They knew how dangerous the road was between Jerusalem and Jericho, and they respected priests and Levites who appear in the story. And they would have been really shocked when the good guy turns out to be a Samaritan. That is the power of the story. And again, in the lost son, the prodigal son, which I assume that we're familiar with, they would, as they listened to that story, they would know the shame that both of the sons brought on the father. One, the, the younger one, by demanding his inheritance before the father died, and the older one, the second one, by refusing to go to the celebration that his father invited him to, which probably would have the village elders and everyone present, shaming his father by refusing to turn up. See, to them, in listening to the story, both sons were equally disrespectful. Whereas we tend to think it's the younger one who's the bad guy, worse than the first one, the older one. And the religious leaders would have realized, too, that he was equating them with the older son. But we live in a different time and a culture, so sometimes the message is not so clear to us as it was to them. And we have to do a little bit of work to connect with the parable and hence get the full meaning. And I think also it's okay to try and rewrite a parable in our modern context. If you look on the internet, you can see people who've tried to do this. You might like to try it with today's and with the different ones. Share it together. So in the coming weeks, that's what we're going to be doing, looking at some of the lesser-known parables and hopefully learning more of how Jesus wants us to live. So in a few minutes, we'll start with one of the parables. But back to John. Thanks, Alan. We're going to... uh... Here, our first parable then, uh, David Lucking is going to introduce it and read it to us and then straight over to Alan again. Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32, the parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, 
Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Thank you, Dave. Let's just have a quick prayer before we look at this. Father, we thank you for these stories that Jesus told. We thank you for this one, and may you use it in our lives to help us to know how better to live to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the parable of the two sons, which is a little bit like the prodigal son in in Luke's gospel. And any of you who've had teenage children or been around teenage children can probably relate to this story quite easily. The first son when asked by his father to work in the vineyard, says, I'm not going to. I won't. Now, in that honor-shame culture, that was extremely rude and disrespectful. The fourth commandment, if you remember, it says, honor your father and mother. But later on, he changes his mind, and he goes and works in the vineyard. The second son, when asked the same question, fulfills the requirements of the fourth commandment. He's very respectful. He calls his father, sir, and says, yes, I'll do that, daddy. But he doesn't go. He doesn't do what he's said. And then Jesus asked the question, who did what his father wanted? That's good learning experience, isn't it? Ask the audience to answer your question. So who did what his father wanted? And they say, the first son, the one who refused to go and then went. That's clearly the right answer, though Jesus doesn't actually say it is, because it's obvious, isn't it? Now, it's probably worth saying as an aside, it's obviously better for the sons to have said, yes, I will go and work in the vineyard, Father, and then go and do it, right? That's obviously much better. You know, imagine the mum who asks her teenage daughter to to go and tidy the room. And she says, yes, mum, of course I'll go, I'll turn my phone off, and I'll go and do it right away, and she does. That would be even better. But that's not what Jesus is aiming to get across in this story. The hearers do get the point, though, that he's aiming to get across. It's what you do that ultimately honors God, not just what you say. But then Jesus broadens out the story and and goes on to say, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. See, the story is about much more than working in a vineyard or respecting a parent. Because here, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, who were the outcasts, the lowest of the low, are equated with the first son. So they'd lived lives of rebellion, of disobedience, of refusing to do what God said. But then they heard the message of John the Baptist. They changed, they took action, and they did what God wanted. They repented and believed. They were like the first son. Now the religious leaders and the synagogue regular goers would not have liked hearing that. But it gets worse for them because it becomes clear that Jesus is equating them with the second son. See, they look the part, they say the right respectful things, they use the right religious words, 
but they don't repent and they don't do the works of God. So what might this story have to say to us? Well, I've just got a couple of thoughts. You can probably have come up with them yourself. Firstly, to use a modern phrase, actions speak louder than words. Or you might say, you must walk the walk, not just talk the talk. See, words are cheap and easy. Anyone can say what they believe. But God is looking for those who live out their faith in practice. So are you and I people who do what we say that we'll do? If we promise something, do we deliver? Because God desires faithfulness. When I was a fairly new Christian, someone shared Luke 16 verse 10 with me in the the RSV, and it says this, He who is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and he who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. Now I guess we all know people who are like the first son, who refuse to do something but then do it. And I realised... When I, having prepared and thought about this a couple of weeks ago, how often I do this in my marriage. I, I treat my wife like this guy treated his father. Kathy will say to me, you know, could you just do this or could you do that? And I say no. Or I'm grumpy or I have a bad attitude. And then I think that's not very good and I go and do it. So it's interesting how often I, could, I identified with the first son. And I guess we all know people like the second son those people who promise something but don't deliver it. The person who says, yes, I'll get back to you with a price. I'll ring you back. I'll come early and I'll help you set up. I can send that email. You don't need to do it. We'll have you over to lunch soon. We'll invite you over soon. All these kind of things. They promise them, but they don't do it. I guess how really precious are those people who say they're going to do it and they do it. And so one of the questions for us, I think, is which are we most like? And I imagine at times we can be either son, can't we? We can, we can be either son at different times. But God wants us to be doers of his word, not just hearers. And James says this in, in his first chapter. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So first point, actions speak louder than words. Are we people that do, not just say? But then secondly, picking up on the second part of what Jesus said, getting into the kingdom of God is about hearing, responding, and acting. It's about responding with repentance and belief. So you're just hearing, like being a part of this church, or any church, saying the right Christian phrases, knowing the jargon, being able to read the words on the screen, humming the hymns or singing the hymns. They're not bad things to do, but they're not enough. They must be followed up with action, So have we truly repented and believed? And is this reflected in how we live out our faith? Again, James sums this up well. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
Doesn't mince his words, does he? So back to the parable. In this parable, there's no explicit application question or clear conclusion. Jesus doesn't say, having listened to my parable, this is what you need to go and do. That's not the way parables work. It's left to the listener to go away and think about what they've heard. And I just thought, wonder what the listeners to that parable went away thinking and how it affected them. Maybe they went away thinking of a couple of questions. I'm just going to leave you with these questions to think about as, as I come to an end. Firstly, which son am I most like? Am I like the first son who says no and then does it? Or am I more like the second son who says, yes, I'll do it, God, and then doesn't? And then following on from that, what does God want me to do to be more like the first son and less like the second? Because clearly the first son is in a better place than the second son. So what does God want me to do to be more like the first son and less like the second? So I'm going to leave you with those questions to think about. Thank you. Thank you, Alan, for speaking so clearly to us about parables. Somebody once said as well that a parable is truth that slips in by the back door and you're not expecting about a week later when it suddenly dawns on you. One thing Alan said to me beforehand was maybe afterwards in the car park when you're chatting rather than just chat about the weather or what you've done this week, maybe chat to one another, those who you feel confident chatting at this level with, saying, what do you think? I, I'm, I feel I'm more like the whatever son or daughter. And uh, just chat. Father, help us to be doers of the word and not, not just hearers. Lord, we're here this morning in church and we're hearing good words and we're saying good things. But Lord, we, as we've just heard, it needs to go beyond that. Help us to have hearts that are open to you, to be changed and to live more according to the way you want us to, we pray. Amen. Margaret, you come and lead us in our prayers, please. As we come together this morning to pray for our world, our church, and ourselves, could I ask you all to join in with me at the end of each section in a communal prayer? So when I say, Lord, in your mercy, can you say, hear our prayer? We pray for our world. Lord, we pray that you will bring justice and peace to those areas of the world where there is conflict, oppression and cruelty. We thank you for your beautiful creation and ask forgiveness for not taking greater care of it. We pray for Germany, China and India as they cope with the destruction caused by recent flooding, for the fires in America and all the lives that have been touched by these tragedies. We pray for your protection over our world as we experience these extreme weather conditions caused by climate change. We pray for the COP26 event later in the year. Please give wisdom and guidance to all those who are involved in the decision-making process and those that have the power to make changes for the good of the planet. Lord, we pray for mercy and compassion on your world and for your people for a healing from this pandemic. We pray for all those families who have lost loved ones and who are currently suffering with the virus. Lord, in your mercy. For our country, we pray for the leaders of our country, 
both locally and nationally, that you will give them wisdom and guidance in all their decision-making. We thank you for the NHS, our local hospitals, and all the staff who work tirelessly to bring healing to those in need. We pray for wisdom for the doctors and scientists as they seek further ways of dealing with the pandemic. We give you thanks for the wealth of vaccines that we have in our country. And our prayer is for the equal distribution of vaccines to those countries who are less fortunate and in desperate need. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for your protection on our church as the restrictions ease. Give us wisdom and guidance on the way forward and a sensitivity to each other's needs at this time. Be with all those who are suffering from ill health, bereavement, isolation and separation from loved ones. In a moment of quiet, we bring before you all those who are known to us. We pray for those of our congregation who have not been able to join us in church yet. Lord, we ask that you will meet the needs of everyone who is feeling bereft this morning and missing the regular worship here. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for Ben and Jess as they make their move to Selly Park. We pray that all the practical plans for the move will work out as intended and that they will know your peace and love at this time of upheaval and transition. And we remember the congregation that Ben and Jess are leaving behind at Amington and the loss that they will be feeling. We pray for Christchurch, for Ben and Jess and our congregation as we begin a new chapter together, seeking your will for the future direction of Christchurch. Lord, in your mercy. And now let us all come together in prayer with the prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. If you're able, as they say, I'd like you to stand and we'll say together the creed, what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And I need to be careful that I go out and put that into practice, that that makes a difference in my life. It's not just words I say, but that gets translated into actions.